So you know, the best advice I can give you is when you when you first get there, you gotta beat somebody up. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's. And then wait, uh, wait, wait. That's oh, that's the prison advice. This is episode ninety nine. Yeah, we got to think about what we want to do for one hundred. It's just an arbitrary number, anyway. That's right. It's not like it's a you know, base two power or anything. We get to one twenty eight. That's the that's the party right there. Your mom's a base two. All right, here we go. Today is Monday, December 29th, 2014, and this is episode 99 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. Good evening, Mr. Bell. How are you, sir? I'm pretty good. Hope you are, too. I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. All right, so, um, yeah, we're uh, we're creeping up on that. Major milestone of 100, which I'm sure we'll have some gigantic bash. I have no idea what we'll do yet. Probably be a normal episode, but anyhow, uh, we do have some listener mail that I wanted to cover tonight. So the first one we have comes from Philip. He uh, he actually is asking a question about uh, risk management and communicating risk to executives. So in particular... He, he, I guess he ran into a situation where he was at a store, a neighborhood grocery store, and the pause terminal they had was kind of leaking information about what operating system it was using and things like that. And, and uh, apparently, Philip tried to talk to the manager and let them know, you know maybe, maybe you want to be a little more on the down low about what what's uh, what's running on your pause terminals there and. The ultimate question is, how do you communicate those kinds of maybe nuanced concerns to non-technical executives? And so this this kind of rolls up into the bigger uh, risk management discussions with with management and executives. And you know, I, I think from from my standpoint, we've talked about this in the past. The most important thing is being able to communicate in business terms. So you know, not 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 trying to convey it in terms of the technology problem, but you know what is the impact to the business? You know, for instance, you're, you know, you'll lose customers, you'll lose sales, you'll, you know, th- those sorts of things. If you can, obviously, this is this is kind of an edge case, I, I suppose. But in general, if you can quantify the concern you have into dollars, cents, widgets sold, widgets lost, that sort of thing, that that helps facilitate the discussion in my view. I don't know if you had a different idea. Yeah. You know, I think taking just one step back, part of the challenge here is when you're especially approaching someone like this is they aren't necessarily in a frame of mind to hear what you have to say, regardless of how you present it. Um, You know, random manager dude at a store got a thousand problems and you know you come to him with some weird nerd thing and it may not it may not even resonate it may just bounce right off him no matter how you present it so True. you know i think part of the challenge is approaching someone who um may care right and maybe that's a timing thing maybe that's an approach maybe that's an individual but you know part of the challenge is you've got to find somebody who uh, would at least listen um and and you know the situation here if you take a step back and look at it from a societal standpoint you as a customer although you have that customer and they have the management relationship you have no relationship or authority or or respect to position in an IT role so it's difficult to have that conversation when you are not in any sort of position of respect around that particular topic. If you came up to him and said, hey, you've got some spoiled produce on aisle seven, they'll hear that from you because that's the expected role that you're playing in that relationship. When you come up to him and say, hey, you know, you got some bad shingles on your roof, they're going to look at you like, who who are you and why are you telling me this? Um, So I think that can apply in a bigger picture too of, of, uh, you know, a role in 
in you know corporate America. And not that it's a good thing to do, but I think a lot of people filter based on expectations. So you know, I, you know, if I'm if I'm a CISO and I've got a secretary talking to me about um, a random IT security thing, that if I've got a little bit of arrogance or I'm busy or I'm you know not open to that, I may very quickly blow, you know brush that by as opposed to somebody who's on my InfoSec team. I, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling here, but um, no, I, I think you're I think you're right on, and, and you hit on an important point that this is especially communicating in this kind of circumstance and, and even more broadly, like you just described, there's a lot of psychology here. It's not necessarily a simple matter of, uh, of an information security problem. This is, you know, this is a, this is a, a, uh, a, a you know, a social science kind of, or social psychology kind of a problem. Um, you know, another piece of, of advice I'd throw out is to, is to make it about, the person and is helping them out rather than uh, trying to avoid uh, loss of their customers. Right. So, you know, this kind of goes a little bit in starting to stray into this, to the area of social engineering, right. And how, how do you get people to trust you and, and pay attention to you and, and those sorts of things. And, you know, one of the, I think you, you, you brought, brought up a really good point that, People have an expectation of about, about what your role is, and I think that's certainly true. You, can, I, in my view, you can help mitigate that a little bit by, again, making it about their person, about that particular person. You know, you might lose some money if you don't, if, you know, if, because of this particular problem. Not you're going to piss off a bunch of customers, or you're going right. to lose customer data. You know, you you, you basically want to be helping be seen as help trying to to help that person you know hey you dropped 20 bucks or hey you you know you're 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 trying to make it about them that's uh that, that'd be my i guess my bit of advice yeah the other thing that i think it's good and the other thing that occurred to me that also why it may be difficult in this particular example is maybe this is something this person has no control over and you know this is all set at corporate and corporate decides all that and that's not my thing and i got enough to worry about go talk to corporate you know, kind, of, kind of mindset, um, which is not necessarily a good thing. Or it's outsourced. I mean, we've we've talked about a lot of, uh, you know, I don't know how it is uh, where where Philip lives, but here in the states, at least, you know, this is a this uh, it's not uncommon, especially for the smaller smaller companies to have outsourced that stuff. So you know, they, there's somebody else owns and manages those systems. They just, you know, their employees just use them. So. You don't know. It's a good point. Uh, so the next bit of mail we have comes from Chris. And Chris is asking about steganography. And if we, uh, either you or I, have ever seen steganography or steganographic techniques used in a, a breach situation, uh, you know, basically for uh, to aid exfiltration and... Uh, you know, I, I would say the only one that I'm aware of, and, and whether or not you consider it steganography is uh, tenuous, right? But um, exfiltrating data through DNS, I've seen that. Um, but yeah, is that, is that technically steganography? No, no, not really. Yeah, it's 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 really just a, <laughs> a covert channel. Um, but yeah. as as far as you know, as far as uh, credit card numbers being in, encoded in. Uh, you know, important pictures. No, I've never, I've never seen that. Yeah, it's a clever technique. I've never really, that I can think of off the top of my head, seen it in an active situation. I think part of this is because data's gotten too big to really effectively hide well in pictures or audio files and that kind of stuff. I don't know. Um, it's one of those fun things to play with, and it's a neat proof of concept. But I, I, I've very rarely encountered it in the wild. Yeah, and I, I did a little bit. I mean, I didn't do a ton, but but certainly went went back through all of the things I've read, and I I can't remember having ever read of any circumstances where steganography was used in in a breach. But you know what? Hey, one of the one of the issues is I think it's it's probably a more advanced technique 
that you would see being used again by more advanced attackers who are probably a lot less likely to be caught, and therefore maybe it happens all the time, and right. we don't know about it. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that. Maybe it's just so good, we just they just don't get caught. Right. So. <laughs> Hard to say. But, uh, you know, it's I, I would say that as it's, it's – steganography is probably one of those areas where as – Organizations become more mature in their ability to you know, d- detect data leaving out the door. That's that's quite possibly uh, one of the new horizons for uh, for the bad guys. Yeah, you know, the other thing I'd say is there's so many other ways to get data out. Why go to all the trouble of steganography? Well, well, that's a good point, and, and it's also a pretty low bandwidth option, you know. And, and like you said. It's it'd be really difficult to encode a hundred terabytes for, of Sony data steganographically. It's it's you know sexy and fun, but um, eh, why go harder than you need to go? Well, exactly. Uh, and then the uh, the last email we got comes from uh, some uh, a listener in Germany, and uh, Chris followed up from uh, our last episode where we talked about. The report from the German, I think it was BSI, the German uh, Data Protection Agency. And the report was actually written in German, and uh, Chris actually did us the kind favor of translating the portion that relates to this attack on the steel plant. And what was really interesting to me, what struck me, is that there was a whole bunch of hoopla made a whole lot of news articles written about this. And when you actually read what is in the report, there's not much. It's pretty sparse. So, you know, they, I'll just, I'll just kind of read it verbatim. So situation targeted attack on a steel plant in Germany method via spear phishing and sophisticated social engineering attackers initially obtained access to the office network of the steel plant. From there, they successively worked their way into the production networks, damage effect, outages of individual control components or entire systems became increasingly frequent. The outages had as an effect that a blast furnace could not be shut down in a controlled manner and was left in an undefined state. The consequence was massive damage to the system uh, or plant. Uh, And then let's see technical skill level the technical skills of the attackers had to be qualified as very advanced a multitude of different internal systems were compromised up to and including industrial components the technical knowledge of the attackers was considerable not only in the field of classical it security but it also extended to detailed specialized knowledge about industrial control systems and production processes that were in use if you if you take it as it as gospel right it does sound like they actually got into the industrial control systems themselves, which is non-trivial. But um, but again, there's not enough detail to really to, to really say much. So we, we we still don't we still don't know, you know, exactly what they did. You know what what was what was the actual attack? You know, did they did they uh, did they intentionally modify the logic in the industrial controller? Or did it, they just trip over something and yeah, screw it up? Inadvertent DOS, right? Right. They just messed up the machine that controls it, and as a result, they couldn't control it, and bad things happened. Yeah, yeah. So um, we appreciate the translation, though. That's definitely very handy. It was awesome. So thank you much, and uh, you know, as, as always, if you if you have any thoughts or uh, questions, send us an email. We we do uh, we do read them. So getting into our stories for this week. The first one, uh, you know, obviously we have to start with Sony, you know, because, well, hey, everything's about Sony right now. And uh, this first story comes from the Security Ledger, and the title is New Clues and Sony Hack Point to Insiders Away from DPRK. And this is uh, this is kind of a rehash, I suppose, of a report, I don't know if it's really a report, but uh a press release, at least, by Norse, whose researchers did some uh, some analysis of data that was stolen as part of this breach, which included some uh, some data about terminations. 
So apparently there was a layoff back in the first quarter, or early second quarter of 2014. And they looked through the roster of who was laid off and found apparently a an unnamed woman who they describe as having the means and motive for pulling off uh, this kind of an attack. And they they apparently uh, chased her around the on the internet a little bit, look, looking at uh, where she was hanging out, and they uh, they I guess have identified I think uh, five other people, including or other than her. Uh, I don't think these other five people were tied to Sony, and they don't actually say how they came to suspect these other five people, but they did. They did mention that uh, there was some conversations between these other five people and this uh, this unnamed woman about a server, which uh, was an apparent source of some of the malware that was seen. So, uh, you know, it's kind of a kind of a weird thing. Uh, they they do go on to say that they're not they're not claiming this is really credible information uh which is which is interesting because it's at, at, at the same time is very very specific they're kind of saying you know we think it was this lady with these five other people who were you know who were uh, uh effectively getting retribution on the company for this layoff and by the way these other people are probably mad at sony because you know we think they're they're aligned with the Pirate Bay or or something like that. So they have motivation as well. Uh, and, you know, who knows? So uh, apparently they have handed over their information to the FBI today. And, uh, and it will be interesting. Now, I will tell you, you know, this, obviously everybody and their dog is talking about this Sony story right now. And a lot of people are really becoming convinced that it's not North Korea that did that. And I think that's probably you know a, a fair assessment, although I will tell you if I were North Korea, I'd want to I wouldn't want people really to be able to tie it back to me either. Uh but I will say that I'm really skeptical about some of the the comments they make in this report like you know that it would require an insider to be able to have the level of knowledge about the internal networks and the where the important servers are and the credentials in order to pull this thing off. Not true. Exactly. So it, it I I have a hard time reconciling in my mind how a company like Norse would make an assertion like that. Yeah, I, I... So backing up just a tad in the story, too, a lot of this is incredibly circumstantial and coincidental, what their findings are. Uh, clearly, Norse is uh, you know, uh, kind of in a bit of a startup phase. They're a threat intelligence vendor. Um, certainly, they want to get their name out there and release some information. However, that being said, I have never been in the North Korea camp. Uh, and I've been very vocal about that and, you know, to the point where I, you know, have now bought into that theory so much that, you know, clearly I can never change my mind regardless of facts. But that being said, I still feel something that started this early on, long before the interview came into the picture, which I really do think is a red herring, was much more personal and some sort of blackmail or extortion was going on. If you look at the very first communication on the blacked-out desktops, it was about demands that we have made from Sony management. And we have never heard what those demands were. So the concept of an insider being involved somewhat fits that narrative to me. Especially when you look at the volumes of data that were taken out, uh, you know, external hard drive is a much more viable mechanism for doing that. Now, that being said, I don't put any more stock in the Norse stuff than I do anybody else's. 
uh, just by the fact that the Norse or it better fits my version of reality, whatever. It's, it's interesting. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is that it somewhat backs up my gut feeling. I shouldn't say backs it up. It somewhat flows with my gut feeling of what truly motivated this attack. But I don't know if they're right. But I, I just don't. I still don't buy the North Korea over the interview. I, I think that that is the, the mainstream media jumping all over this, uh, the feds and everybody else getting involved and not looking at the initial communications, the initial facts. The interviews had nothing to do with it until days and days and days later. And they said, oh, and in addition to everything else, uh, don't show the interview. You know, I, I got to say, if it, if it pans out not to be North Korea, you know, if it is this... This uh, what do they call her, Leanna, or uh, they 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 uh, gave her a code name, but um, if it does turn out to be that person and in, in no way associated with North Korea, uh, all I gotta say is holy crap, what a mess the U.S. made, the the U.S. government yep. made, that, and which is why I don't think the U.S. government will ever admit otherwise. Well, that's a good point. That's a good point. Now, I guess there's a couple of other things that I'll, I'll I'll bring up you know one of the I think one of the initial things I read uh, about was the uh, somebody somebody did an analysis of the file dates the time and dates of the files that were dumped and they looked basically at the at the size and the date and they basically figured out that it was roughly this the speed of USB 2 interesting I had not seen that report. Yeah, actually, it's re- I think it's referenced very briefly in here, and I, I think that was some of the one of the early Norse findings. Uh, but you know, there's another explanation for that, in that you know they may have had that on a local. They may have already copied all that data to a local system, and they made a, their own you know separate copy onto another device before uploading sure. it. So you know, there, that, that's not necessarily a home run. Um, you know, attribution element. So, you know, we just have to be kind of careful. Uh, the other thing we don't know is how long it took them, right? So there's, and it's said in somewhere in here, you know, that they're kind of implying that all of this happened in a very compressed time frame. But I've not really heard anything that describes how long the actual attack took place. You know, we know... That the malware was the malware that did the wiping was compiled, you know, a, a day or two before the actual attack happened and before the the systems were wiped. But we don't know, you know, over what time horizon was the data exfiltrated. There are some indicators, I would say, that, for instance, we know some of the email contained the email archives that were dumped contained email from the GOP people themselves so obviously it was you know some of it was at least relatively current but we don't know i haven't really heard that it would be it would certainly i think give the whole insider with a usb drive a lot more credibility if all that data were you know copied off day you know within a day or two before the attack but I, i haven't heard yeah, it's so tough to say. You know, and this is the challenge we have here, and, and somebody put this on Twitter, and I really apologize for not being able to find it, because I hate to take credit for somebody else's observation, and uh, my apologies. But somebody said, you know, the trouble with attribution and and the trouble with these sorts of meta-info is that the attacker controls all of it. Exactly. <laughs> right? So how can you trust it? Exactly. And, I, you know, I've I've long had... A hard time with with people uh, really putting stock in compile dates on malware or you know uh, la- languages for you know the, the the language that a computer is set up to use, which was used to compile the malware. All that stuff is ephemeral; it's trivial to change. And in fact, if I were a bad person and I wanted to, you know, I, I wanted to obscure my tracks those are some of the things that i would first think about changing so you know i I, it's um it's a little frustrating to me that 
we 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 collectively as an industry seem so apt to to trust those things so um you know especially since we're otherwise such a skeptical bunch and and then we don't have any problem just uh, a blindly accepting a compile date but anyhow uh, moving on to the next story, which is also related to Sony. This one comes from Data Breach Today. And the title is Six Breach Lessons We Must Learn. So, I'm sorry, Six Sony Breach Lessons We Must Learn. And number one is watch your risk tolerance. And they point out that some of the emails that were leaked, when you when you read some of them, especially those from the CISO, there's this... Uh, error that the business was accepting a lot of risk. And I think their point is that they're, they're probably accepting more risk than they really understood. And that's something that I've talked about a lot too. Um, and I've written a, a couple of things about this. I really honestly think that businesses accept risk that they don't, they don't really understand. They don't have their head around what the actual impact of, of the thing they're accepting is. So, uh, number two, this is vandalism, not war. I think that's a pretty cogent, sane statement. Uh, number three, although I don't necessarily think that's a lesson as much as a statement. Uh, number three, data exfiltration must be caught, You know, i.e., how can it be that hundreds of, you know, tens or hundreds of terabytes of data were exfiltrated without being detected? Well, and, and by the way, that goes even for a USB drive, right? Data wants to be free, my friend. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Uh, number four, we're all vulnerable. So, you know, we we need to be... You know, oh, go ahead. I, I just want to jump out of that because... A lot of people say, yeah, I may be vulnerable, but who would come after me anyway? So I would say we're all vulnerable and we're all targets. Yeah, potential targets. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people who believe, well, I've got nothing worth hacking anyway. And I think that's a a faulty belief. Right. Because, you know, there's multiple, there's, there's lots of different economic, not in the, not in the financial sense, but the, the, the reasons that people might go after you are varied. And so if it does turn out that Norris is right, it wasn't an economic incentive that Sony was targeted. It was, you know, and they had an ax to grind. They, they, and now they want that company dead. Yep. So that's, you know, you have to, you have to be cognizant that just because you don't have, uh, you know, super secret stealth fighter plans, you know that you you could still be you know you, you're a grocery chain and you could have fired the wrong person and now they're they're going to be hell bent on taking you down. So be aware. Uh, and hey, there you go. Number five: be aware of bi- the the business impact. So uh, I think that kind of goes back with number four a little bit, but you know again understanding. <sighs> what is the total impact that you have to lose, right? Because, you know, their, their, uh, their, their point is when Sony compiles all of the costs associated with this thing, it's going to be outrageous. And, you know, they make the point that it's not clear if Sony were an independent, if Sony Pictures Entertainment, which is the, the, tar- the entity that was targeted, it wasn't the bigger Sony, uh, if if they were not in, in if they were not part of the bigger Sony umbrella, you know, would they or would they not be able to survive? And that's not a question we can answer, but it's uh you know it's, it's something to think about. And uh, number six, these incidents make us all look bad. Um, and I think that's probably more true, especially with. In this particular case, probably more than anything else I can ever remember, um, it is all over the news. I mean, it's on every single news channel. 
I guess it's subsiding a little bit right now, but because Sony is an entertainment company, uh, there, there's this really big uh, clash or, or crossover between information security and pop culture news. And I, I really think this is uh, not, not doing our industry a, a, a great service. I also think that depending on what happens over the next couple of months and and what finally shakes out as the root cause of this thing, I, sus- I forecast that we're going to see another Edward Snowden-like witch hunt in boardrooms across the world. You know, where with, uh, with Edward Snowden, bo- the boards of director all over the, all over the world went on a witch hunt, you know, tr- trying to figure out how do we keep our confidential data out of the hands of those dirty contractors. And it was a, it was a red herring, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there, there's a fundamental assumption that contractors are inherently more likely to be malicious insiders than employees, and I'm not sure that's true. Well, ex- exactly right. They, you know, they, we, we collectively we spent all this effort chasing after you know kind of a non-issue or really a, not the right issue, I should say. Yeah. And I and I fear that we're going to see that in the wake of Sony too. I guess it depends. I guess it depends on what the narrative is. And and this is the interesting part of the narrative being it was North Korea. That takes a lot of people off the hook. Because what are you going to do? The, 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 the assumption is that if it's a nation state, it's nigh impossible to defend yourself. And you just run that risk if you're out in the big bad world. I don't know that that narrative will change. But if the narrative is it was a malicious insider and a bunch of you know, malicious hackers, that changes the fundamentals of responsibility. And rightly or wrongly, the assumption is, well, you should be able to defend yourself against non-nation state hackers. Absolutely. I think it goes, I, I think it, the conversation turns from, you know, oh, poor Sony, there was nothing you could have possibly done to Sony, you shot yourself in the foot. You hired a bad person. You have bad security you you should have seen this coming, you know what what did you do? Look look at the mess you made, and I I, I really think that's what how that conversation will change, yeah. uh, if if in fact that's how the the dynamic changes. So we shall see. So our our next story, moving away. What, from, oh, one other thing I'll say is. Let's look back to the fact, too, that we still don't know what the initial attack was, the initial vector, and the initial exploits. We have no idea on Sony. Or if there were any. <laughs> you know? well, well, there had to have been at some point just to get the, uh, the dropper out or the, uh, the wiper out there well, and to it, gather all the information. It, uh, are you implying that, that the initial gathering all that information was by somebody with appropriate privilege? It. it it's it 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 certainly seems, it, you know. Again, assuming that nor the Norse uh, idea is is accurate, mm-hmm. just for the sake of argument. Sure. I, I don't think there would. I don't think you would find much in the way of an initial attack vector. Okay. You know, most most likely they didn't terminate her account, and uh, she still had access. <laughs> And, you know, that nobody ever changes admin passwords because that's really hard and painful. And who wants to do that? So I, I, you know, if, if, if in fact that's what happened, uh, you know, versus an external, an external party coming in, which is probably still relatively easy to do with a phishing email or whatever, I, I bet you, you know, it was, it was pretty simple. Indeed. Uh, because you know the, the the thing, the wiper was itself a worm, right? So all they needed to do was launch that sucker on one computer, and it was off to the races. True. So, uh, anyhow, moving on to our next story, which comes from the register. The title is ISC.org website hacked. Scan your PC for malware if you stop by. Uh, so ISC is not the Internet Storm Center; it is the Internet. Software Consortium, I think that's what it stands for. Or, sorry, Internet Systems Consortium. 
and they are the group that makes Bind and the uh, uh, ISC DHCP server, and uh, among other things, I think. And their website had been hacked and was serving up an exploit kit. Awesome. Yeah, and so the the initial concern I remember when this happened, uh, the initial concern was, oh my god, you know, DHCP, the DHCPD, and and uh, Bind were, you know, holy cow, <laughs> were, were those uh, were those modified and and now rogue copies are roaming the internet. And in fact, apparently that is not what happened. Uh, ISC.org apparently runs WordPress with maybe some dodgy plugins. And um, I'm going to guess, based on uh, based on what's described here, it sounds like that that recent uh, slider uh, vulnerability where there was a worm running around, compromising WordPress sites that had that plugin installed, and and uh, so it it's um, and in fact I think their chief security officer, uh, IC ISC security officer said that, you know, it's not clear that they were actually targeted. It looks more like they were just, uh, you know, exploited by a, by a bot or something. So, But, again, I think this goes back to the point that ISC.org is something that your, you know, your uh, sysadmins are probably visiting. And, uh, you know, now, now you have here is an example where they're visiting a legitimate site and it's serving up an exploit kit. And if they're you know, hey, running uh, with admin rights, you know, domain admin privileges, you potentially have a really big problem. Uh, I don't, I don't specifically know, and I don't think they know either what the malware that got pushed down did. But um, you know, here's an, here's an example of another case where you know the, these drive-bys are becoming a lot more problematic. And you know, I, I I'm not going to say these were targeted, but you can imagine. Uh, a situation where it, this this would be a great way to target a certain demographic. So, anyhow, moving on to our next story it comes from Dark Reading, and the title is "Attackers Leverage IT Tools as Cover." This is a really uh, pretty good article for everybody to read, and uh, they interview a uh, a couple of different companies. And I think it was Neohapsis, I believe, was one of the primary groups they interview. And uh, basically they're talking about how they are forecasting more and more attacks to leverage, I guess for lack of a better word, word, off-the-shelf administrative and security tools as part of the, the attack chain. And so we've we've seen that for a long time, or at least I've seen it for a long time, where where um, the bad guys were using things like PS Exec in RDP. But um, they're 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 pointing out that hey, it's not inconceivable that we would see uh, attackers using antivirus to look for credit card numbers in in memory, or to use your IDS system to build a map of your network and, and, and so on and so on. And using your patch management system to provision malware, which by the way is, as best I understand is what happened in the South Korea attack uh, from last year. So, and there was talk of a software distribution server being used to target. Yeah, that's a good point too. Yep. I, don't, I don't know that we ever got that confirmed. Let me be careful there, but I remember there was a rumor going on that uh, there was a software distribution server used to push uh, the malware out to all the POS boxes. Right. Right. So um, I, I think this is this is a good thing to read in that you know we we generally are building up a pretty significant infrastructure of tools to you know to help protect our environment, but we have to be cognizant that those tools can be used against us if, if they're, if they're not properly protected. And, um, you know, so, so anyway, give that a read and, you know, think about how that might apply in your specific environment. Well, I think we'll be talking about this, uh, some more, certainly I've seen, I've seen this sort of thing manifest itself in, in some breaches. So it's not, you know, I, I think, 
this isn't a uh, you know a future forward-looking statement. Some of it, I think, is a little fanciful, like antivirus looking for credit card numbers. But hey, you know, any, anything's possible. Well, it seems like DLP would be a better fit for that. But well, I don't think DLP usually looks in in memory. So I, you know, I think uh, that's probably why. Yeah. They're... Okay. Uh, yeah, that's true. I suspect that's why they're... Uh, the, yeah, I was just thinking on the line for whatever reason. But you're right. Um, and then uh, the last story we have tonight comes from uh, back at the register. And the title is J.P. Morgan Chase Mega Hack. Love that. I wish they would have called it a mega cyber hack. Then it would have been even better. Uh, was a simple two-factor auth fail. And, uh, and this... This stupid story, and I, and, I, and I say that with all due respect to everybody who was involved in the reporting of this story, and However, we all know, and we all know what all due respect means, right? Right. But um, anyway, it's it, it, it's a really it's a really odd story. You know, they're basically saying, "Oh, we had this huge hack," and at the core of it was we just forgot this server. We just, you know, we we had been going through our environment and installing, rolling out two-factor authentication, and we just forgot that server. And, well, oh, what do you know? That's the server that got hacked, and uh, bing, bang, boom, you know, oops. It was, you know, it, it, was just a, it was just a mistake. We just forgot to install two-factor. But I call shenanigans. Well, let's first up back up for a moment and say that this narrative is a common narrative that we hear. Bad inventory control, we forgot about a server, we forgot about this, we forgot about that. So regardless of what happened to J.P. Morgan, I think there's a lesson to be learned in that this is a common narrative of know what's on your damn servers and systems and networks, folks. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, confirm it. Anyway, but back to your shenanigans. No, so I think you are absolutely right. I do not deny that... I, I I have to I have to assume that they are the reporting is correct. They probably did have a server where they forgot to install two-factor authentication. However, not installing two-factor authentication does not make a server vulnerable to hacking, right? Correct. Uh, there there were other things going on here, a lot of which were already reported on, by the way. And so what I, I find it really curious that. It's like, oh, you know, we're just going to let the air out of the balloon. Oh, yeah, it was just this two-factor thing. We just forgot to install it. That's what happened. Oops, sorry. Move along. I, I think you hit on a very important point. What happened here is extraordinarily common, right? And I've had I've been having some discussions with, with other people about the importance of inventory. And one of the central tenets of how... IT security is modeled today for right or for wrong is predicated on not having willy-nilly crap on your network, right? You got to have you got to have control because there are complicated trust relationships between different systems in your environment. And if, you know, a particular system is, you know, is, is vulnerable or, or weaker than another part, you know, it's the, it's the whole weakest link, you know, kind of concept, pretty, pretty basic. Um, but that's, you know, that's why I think, it, you know, until things radically change, inventory is really important. You've got to know what's out there. It's got to be maintained uh, because the, the interplay between systems is often very complicated and not well understood by by most IT and IS groups in particular. But anyway, um, I actually did a bit of a retrospective write-up on, uh, on how I think J.P. Morgan is getting off a little bit easy because it, it wasn't just this two-factor authentication problem, right? We know from a, a, a pretty long timeline of, of, of successive reports, uh, you know, that first, the, we know that the, the apparently the initial point of intrusion was through a vulnerable web application. 
right? So then we know that um, you know that this that system, or I think there were a total of ninety systems that that were ultimately compromised, were being controlled by a command. You know, were, were beaconing into a command and control system, which they only found upon investigating the compromise of a, a totally unrelated system. Their their corporate corporate challenge website. Right, they they found that, that system had been compromised. They looked at the traffic, and I'm I'm doing a little bit of inference here, right? But um, they looked at the traffic, beaconing out from that corporate challenge website, and they looked on in other parts of their environment, and they found, oh, look, we got these ninety systems that are being uh, controlled by the same that same command and control system. And that's that's how they found it found it out. So so you know that's there's another there's another problem. Uh, there were gigabytes, kind of like in the Sony case, right? Maybe not as much, right? But there were gigabyte that literally gigabytes and gigabytes of data. About eighty million households in the U.S. were stolen, or stolen and not detected. Uh, and and so I say to blame this all on. A missing two-factor authentication is is really, you know, doing a, a giving a disservice to this. And the reason I point that bring this up is that in every breach that I've ever been involved in, or seen, or read about, it isn't one thing. It's never missing two-factor authentication. It's a chain of things that happen. Either they're intentional or they're accidental. But you know, there's there's always a a long train of of errors or problems that uh, that result in these really big breaches, and I think we we often miss that context. It's almost like a chain, like perhaps like a like a kill chain. <laughs> well, no, no, you you hit on a good point, and you know, honestly, that is exactly the same way people talk about aviation disasters and aviation accidents. Is the exact same context. There is a series of events that lead to an aviation issue, and if any of those can be stopped or solved or avoided, the entire situation would have been avoided. So it's interesting the parallels there. But um, yeah, I I I, I concur, Doctor. In, That's all I can say. Here in the U.S., there there was a uh, there was a series TV series called Modern Marvels, uh, which I, I'm not sure if it's still on or, or not. Um, but they had a they had for a period of time they had a, a kind of a segment uh, of dedicated shows that they called Engineering Disasters. And it it occurred to me, and I I watched those you know probably ten or more years ago. But kind of reflecting on it now, all of those engineering disasters, whether they're you know bridge collapses or you know buildings falling over or what have you, they all have that same problem. You know, man-made disasters tend to always have this kind of a chaining type problem where there's lots of opportunity for it to go right, uh, but you know we we uh, we we tend to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. And uh, I, I think we need to, as defenders, we need to figure out how to better leverage that. So that's, uh, I guess that's what I, where I wanted to drive that point to. And, and by the way, I'm not, I don't bring this up to berate JP Morgan, right? I th- I'm more berating the reporting of this. You know, I, I, I don't, I can't really say JP Morgan had a, you know, an unusual problem here that, you know, that they they seemed to be somewhat upfront and uh, open about what was happening. You know, I think there were some criticism about maybe how they handled the data that was stolen and and whatnot. But you know, from an IT security perspective, I don't think they were they were really out of line. I'm not throwing rocks at them for that. I'm just throwing rocks at the reporting. So there you go. Fair enough. And that is the last show of 2014. Hey, before we wrap up, I do want to um, make mention of a bit of a somber topic, if if you're okay with that. Have at it. So, uh, uh, 
some of our listeners probably know this, some may not, um, that uh, somebody who was very, very active in the information security community uh, was killed yesterday. A uh, very good friend of mine, Michael Hamlin, uh, was killed in an automobile accident in um, in Texas, visiting family. He lives here in Georgia, lived. Uh, his wife was, was with him in the vehicle. Uh, she sustained some injury, but nothing life-threatening. She'll be fine. Um, Michael had been kicking around the information security community for a long time. He worked at SecureIT and Vigilar and um, uh, maybe not Vigilar, sorry, but uh, a, a lot of early information security community companies here in Atlanta. Uh, worked for IBM recently as part of the X-Force team and just recently took a his first CISO role. So brilliant, talented, amazing guy. Uh, very good friend, uh, will be deeply missed. So just wanted to uh, make mention of that. Yeah, and I know you and, and he were, uh, were good friends, and I, I, I certainly extend my condolences to you. And uh, I, I think I only had met him once or twice through you. Actually, I think uh, the last time was last New Year's when we we were in your hot tub. So, <laughs> Well... <laughs> Yes, good there times. Go. That's right. Yeah, a lot, a lot of good memories. But uh, you know, honestly, I'm more, I'm more thinking about his wife and you know his family uh, than me at the moment. But, um, but thank you. Absolutely. So, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not my usual cheery self on the show today. I apologize for that. Understand, understand, and uh, again, sorry for your loss, and sorry for uh, everybody who knew him, and based on. What I saw on Twitter today, he uh, he he was uh, very well liked and known by many. So, yeah, he's been around. He was he was part of Conchoto, the original group that did uh, uh, the capture to flag competition at DefCon. I mean, he's uh, I, I can't do it justice, but he he's definitely been uh, a contributor to the informa- information security community for a long time. Yep. All right. Well. Hopefully, uh, hopefully next week we'll have a happier, happier note. But um, in in any event, if you have any thoughts or opinions or questions, send us an email to info at defensivesecurity.org. Uh, you can find the uh, website and show notes and all of our previous episodes and whatnot on our website at www.defensivesecurity.org. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Defensive Sec. You can follow Mr. Callet on Twitter at Lurg, and you can follow me on Twitter at Malicious Link. And with that, we will talk again next week with our uh, grand episode 100 spectacular. Take care, everybody. Have a good week. Take care. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Bye. <laughs>